You're listening to the Della Darling Podcast. I'm Emily. And I'm Dara. We're taking Dara's love of telling people's stories, Emily's love of attending events, and our mutual love of the first date, and highlighting the best people to meet, places to go, and things to do that Delaware has to offer. Hello, everyone. Uh, It's been a minute since we chatted. We kind of took a little bit of a break in August. It was a big month for us with our Delaware Apparel episode, the Mill Summit, um, and I had a couple other fun Della Darling things going on. And we both have just sort of been traveling throughout August and September. So there's just been a lot going on. Yeah, I kind of feel like my summer vacation schedule has actually gotten shifted to the fall of because I know you also have a, had a few trips and might have some more trips coming up, but I'm kind of packed with like some fall weddings and um, long weekend trips and I'm looking forward to it all, but it seems like I'm finally taking all those vacations that uh, my coworkers were taking June through August. Yeah. it. I have to say like in my world um, at work, we have had so many deadlines and every time there's a deadline, some really pertinent uh, critical path person has been on vacation. And so navigating that has just been a struggle. Um, but it's, it's been good for me. I've had a lot to do and it's kept me busy, which is good because I've really been in town. Um, and one thing I did while I was here, this was a very Della darling thing to do. I actually was asked to judge the Delaware burger battle. Um, actually I should clarify, Dara and I were both asked, they, they asked the duo, but um, because there's a lot of bread involved, it just wasn't the right fit for somebody uh, who's gluten-free like Dara. So I had to take one for the team, as I <laughs> often do with food, and I had to eat all of the burgers. So this was now like mid-August that you did it. And I'm wondering, are there any um, burgers that you're still thinking about? Or was there like something unique that you remember like a like a different type of cheese or a sauce or what was was Um, the highlight well so what's interesting a couple of things here so I did not try all of the burgers just to clarify I think there were 13 burgers I only got to try five of them and so the way it worked was that there were four tables of three judges each and so I judged with two other people And the three of us had the same five burgers and, you know, we could discuss and compare and all that, but I didn't get to try everything. And that is okay. This seems much more manageable. It made it much more manageable. It really did. I have to tell you like five sliders is a lot of sliders, right? Or, you know, it it was a lot of food. So I was not unhappy by that. And I had very good judging partners. Um, I had Joe Allen from the morning show on WSTW. So a lot of our listeners probably uh, will recognize him. I listen to WSTW to and from work and have for probably the last five years or so. Um, So it was kind of nice actually meeting Joe. And then the other person judging was Nick Lepore, who is known as at burger.buff on Instagram. Um, and he's got, I'm looking on his page right now. He's got about 10,000, 10,019 followers. So he's up there and he is like just really into burgers. I mean, he eats a burger every single day. He posts the burgers. His photography is amazing. He was like videotaping everything, you know, and I was like doing selfie talks to Instagram stories. (laughs) So it was just really interesting to see kind of the comparison with him where it's all about the burger compared to us where it's all about the Delaware experience. Um, but they were great. And so we had a great time with the burgers. I, I'm thinking the common theme was a lot of brisket burgers. Really? So you had like a, like a, yeah, like a ground beef brisket mixture. There was like a lot of 50, 50 meat mixtures. Mm. Um, there was one that had thousand Island dressing, which I never thought to put on a burger, but I, really liked it. And so I think that may become kind of like an at-home go-to um, for when you don't just want like, you know, a burger. I would enjoy that, I think. Kind of thing. I would eat that. Yeah. The Thousand Island was really good. And I can definitely see like experimenting with some different cheeses with that. So I would say for me, that was the one that kind of like lasted in my mind. Mm-hmm. 
Were these all places um, submitting the burgers that you'd eaten at before, or did you get to like try in a way a new restaurant? So what's interesting, I actually don't know all the restaurants that I had. Um, Unfortunately, I had another commitment that I had to be at. And so after I tried my burgers and kind of checked everything out, I had to, I had to skedaddle, you know, the life of a darling. It's very busy. Um, And so I wasn't able to sort of figure out which restaurants I'd had because, you know, as judges, we have to have blind testing. Mm. We can't, we can't know. Um, but I do know one that we as a table rated highly was from, I guess it's Ted's Montana Grill. Oh. In Newark. Um, and I had never been there in Newark. So it's actually, it's the fashion yeah, center. Yeah, that's um, what I was thinking. So, so I had never been there. Yeah. And, and, and there were a number of restaurants there that are in Delaware that I had never been to. Um, between food trucks, restaurants, and like smaller caterers. So I think there were there were one or two that like don't have a restaurant storefront, but you can do catering. So that was kind of cool too. Um, so yeah, it was it was really a fun day, I and mean, we had great weather. There was beer and wine and all the good things. So on the totally other side of that, I think some of your your highlights from the past week on like mid August, you you had to judge a, a food competition, and then early September, you had to finish a half marathon. Yes. So um, we're going to hear from our guest in a little bit, but I recorded with her over the weekend. So it was really funny because she's a professional athlete. So I actually ran 13 miles, took a shower, and then we recorded. Um, So I felt like I was at (laughs) least like appropriately prepared in being in company mentally physically yeah like I I too am an athlete an incredibly slow one but I did finish my race so for those who weren't following along on the podcast or on Instagram I have been spending the last couple months of the summer training for the Wilmington women's half marathon um which this was the inaugural so Um, For those who know me well, they know how upset I get when they call something first annual. And this event did not make that mistake. This was the inaugural. And so it started at the Riverfront Park. We raced down the Riverwalk through Delaware Environmental Center and then up the Markell Trail all the way to Newcastle and then back. So it was a true half marathon, 13.1 miles. And um, I'm happy to say I completed it. That's great. I am I am so impressed that you did this. It was one of those things where you were preparing for it for so long and then um it 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 was suddenly here. And I think that if I were going to do something like this, I would need to do that as well where it's like sort of intensive training over a like a few months to um to build up to it and then just just do it. Do you feel weird that it's over now? Um, yeah, I, so just because of scheduling and other things going on, I didn't really have anybody that I was doing the race with and I didn't really invite anybody to be there at the end. So, you know, throughout the race, I'm racing a couple of girlfriends texted me kind of like giving me encouragement, which I know, I, I don't know if they know that I saw them, but I did see them. And so it was really nice to like feel the warm and fuzzies and like, feel a little extra motivation while I was out there. Um, I wasn't responding, but I was getting the messages on my watch. Um, I imagine texting and marathon running are difficult to do at the same time. Right. And I have a Fitbit. So like, I guess with um, Apple watches, you can like talk back to text, but I can't do that on Fitbit. (laughs) Um, And that was fine. I don't think anybody was offended. I didn't respond, but I didn't invite or really have anybody at the finish line. So when it was over, like it was just kind of like over and I kind of walked out a little recovery and then got in the car and drove home. Um, so for those who are going to really run a really big race for the first time, I don't recommend that because it just like feels kind of like lonely at the end. Cause you like feel like you just accomplished something really big and, you and did. Then you're kind of the only one. And I did. Yeah. But you're kind of the only one who realizes it. So I would recommend like invite your friends, invite your family, try to do the race with a friend so that you can, you know, be celebrating together because it really is a big accomplishment and it was something I had been working really hard toward. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's really, really cool. Do you think that you're going to keep upping the intensity? 
Uh, I'm not sure. I kind of have to make a decision in the next three to four days if I'm going to do a marathon at this point in time. Um, because I either... Why three to four days? Well, I either need to keep training and do 14-mile run this weekend. Oh. <laughs> Or I um, can have the chance to kind of take a step back and decide if I want to try another half. Do I want to, you know, do a full at another time? The one I'm debating right now is the Philadelphia Marathon in mm -hmm. November. Um, and I honestly, I'm kind of in a position. I think I just mentally need a little bit of a break um, from sure. the intensive training. I really did enjoy doing more outdoor running and exploring more of Delaware on foot. Um, I really like, whenever I talk to people about this whole training thing, I say there are kind of three things that get me through these like really long runs when I'm out for, you know, two, three hours. One is having a great playlist that really like get, gets me in a good mood, makes me feel good. I listened to a lot of Backstreet Boys, which worked out well because I went to their concert last month, which was amazing. Everyone should go. Um, I listened to a lot of ACDC. Those were kind of my two go-to bands. Another thing I like to do is people watch. So whenever I'm out on a route and I see people in a group or a couple or a family, I kind of make up a backstory in my head about them. So sometimes it's like you see two older gentlemen and I like to think that, you know, every Saturday they go out for a walk while their wives go to breakfast together <laughs> And they've been doing this for 40 years. You know, I like to do that. And then the last thing is I really like the scenery. So whenever I can get a really beautiful place to run, I just feel really lucky. And it reminds me that like my community has so many great places. Um, I was able to, on this whole effort, I did a run at Del Castle Park, um, which is, you know, a little farther out from my house, but it was convenient. I was staying at my parents. Um, I've done the Brandywine trail throughout Wilmington a number of times, and it was so nice to do that and then run up along, um, the cool Springs reservoir and, and experience more of downtown through a run. I did the Markell trail a number of times, actually, that was probably my favorite one because I didn't have to deal with traffic lights. It was really well populated and safe. It's a really long trail. It's obviously where the race ended up being. So it was good training for that. Um, and then I actually did my 12 mile run while I was traveling in Charlotte, North Carolina. And so I got to check out their greenway and a park they had, which is something I wouldn't have done if I weren't training. So it was a really nice way to like experience the city that I'm in and the places around me. So you just mentioned your trip to Charlotte. Um, I was just in Nashville. Unfortunately, I did not, um, meet Jimmy Allen, Delaware's own Jimmy, Jimmy Allen. Um, but well, he, he, I think was in Disney world actually doing a performance. So I did check. He was, he and I were not in Nashville yep. at the same time. So, but it's fine. We're both from Delaware. So we're bound to run into each other eventually. Right. Um, so I was wondering if I sort of have two questions. These are things that I was thinking about when I was on vacation, because I tried to do a mix of like local stuff and tourist stuff. Um, like I like dropped into a local yoga studio for a class, um, just took some time to like wander around the universities there and like, of course, get way too much iced coffee. Um, and then two, of course, you know, I had to show my ID everywhere and people were like, oh, you're from Delaware. So two questions for you on your vacation. Um, one, was there anything that you did that made you feel like you were at, at home where you were and you were like, wow, I should actually do more of this when I am at home. And, um, two, did you have any interesting, Oh, you're from Delaware interactions. You know, I don't think I had any, um, well, I did have a number of big, Oh, you're from Delaware interactions, but it was more that I was in Charlotte, which is about the halfway point, almost exactly between here and my friend from college who lives in the Destin, Florida area. And so everywhere we went, the easiest thing, we were, we were actually, she was coming up to stay in Maryland for a month for work. And so I flew down to Atlanta, met her, and we drove up together. But we did spend two days, um, like a full two days in Charlotte. So we kind of got to like experience the city. But the big thing was everybody was just fascinated that I was from Delaware and she was from Florida and we were <laughs> meeting together and everybody just thought it was such a great story. 
Um, and she's a doctor and I'm an engineer and they just thought that was so great. And, um, we did a food tour and I have done the food tour in Kennett square and I've done a number of food tours in other places. And I, every time I do one in other cities, I'm reminded of how much I enjoy them. Um, you get to walk through a downtown area that you, and go to some parts you may not have realized or experienced otherwise. You get to try a lot of different restaurants. The one we did was actually a food and alcohol tour. So everywhere we went had a little um, either sample or full-size beverage too, which was kind of fun getting to try a signature drink or you know a special wine or something from every restaurant. So I had a really great time doing that. And the thing I also really love is you get to meet a tour guide who tends to be someone who really is active and knowledgeable about, you know, food, beverage, museums, concerts, venues, all kinds of things for the place that you are. So I always really like um, getting to be around those people and pick their brains. And it's it reminds me that it's something that I would like to do here. And I actually don't think Wilmington has a food tour. Um, but sometimes just making up your own can be good. Um, but Kennett Square has a great one. And I would hope that there's one maybe down near the beaches or in the Dover, uh, Milton area. So we've talked a little bit about food and about fitness. And this actually kind of works really perfectly with some of the news items that um, have, have crossed my desk um, recently. Um, so you mentioned earlier when you're talking about the marathon, um, kind of exploring different beautiful places to run and walk in Delaware. And there was sort of like a funny local news story um, that came out in early September from the Newark Post. Um, and it's that erosion from foot traffic causes concern at Newark Reservoir. So um, if, you, if you've ever been in the Newark Reservoir, mm-hmm. um, it's, I mean, it's a beautiful space um, and they have uh, like a, a playground at the foot of it for for children to play um you it's kind of easily connected to some trails um in the white clay um creek area um and you can walk all the way to the top and see the reservoir um I don't recommend doing it on an extremely hot day because I think one time I got sunburned doing that um but there's a there's it's very sunny so it's sort of like a mound and then you meander up the top you know, at an incline, but I guess, um, some people don't want to do this and instead they're really getting a serious workout by walking directly from the bottom to the top of a, a steep incline. And, um, it's creating a little path. You can see in the photos that there's this little footpath that is, um, popped up in the middle of the, the greenery. Yes. And I, I have to tell you, my mother gets very upset by this. She has long before this article been a big proponent of using the paved meander trail. There are signs that say, do not walk up the grass. And it explains this whole issue. She sees people and gets very upset talking under her breath about them not following the rules. So if any- oh, I thought you were going to say that she says something. To no. Them. If anyone knows me, they know that I like organization and structure and procedures And I like the rules and I like for them to be followed. And there is a reason for that. It is my mother. And this particular issue really, really bothers her. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so they've they've put up now some, like, obstructions, I guess you would call them all. It seems to be just, like, loose fencing. And it's, like, at a zigzag. So now you can't go straight up the path or the fake path. Yeah. People-made path. Yeah. I feel like that will really help. Um, And I can give you the whole perspective from a erosion control engineer, because that is one of the things that I do and have done. Um, It is a real problem. It will create a huge erosion path because there is no grass. Grass helps to sort of spread water out um, for more of it to infiltrate and not to run down. But now that we have no grass and it's dirt, water will run down, create a huge gully. Suddenly this will be a hazard. Guys, it's no good. Just follow the rules. They're there for a reason. Yeah. So I just, I thought, I saw it and I thought it was um, just a great example of a little community news story um, that probably a bunch of people have maybe been like, why, how did this path come here? And now, now we know that we're all supposed to avoid it, right? Um, so back to 
possibly an even better or more favorite topic of ours is food. Um, and you were talking just now about Charlotte and wandering around and, and stopping and trying different food. And I think that if you were to do a Delaware food tour, Capriati's would, would have to be on the list. If it's not already on some food tour that I'm not aware of. Oh, absolutely. I I can, you know, a lot of places you sort of get like small bites and I can absolutely see you get a small bite Capistrami and a small bite Bobby. You know, I think those are sort of the two very classic Capriati's sandwiches. Yeah. So Food and Wine recently did a, um, you know, of course, they're always doing these uh, sort of slideshows or, you know, best of this in this state. So um, Food and Wine magazine on their website, they recently called uh, Capriati's the best fast food in Delaware, which I can't say that I necessarily think of Capriati's as fast food, but maybe that's just because it's local. Um, I wouldn't call it fast food. But I, I guess in the premise of it has to be a place that's local. And so that rules out pretty much everything I would have thought of as fast food. Yeah. I guess Capriati's. Capriati's, maybe, maybe the list could have been better named. Like your favorite, like takeout or like order ahead mm-hmm. restaurant kind of place. Um, but yeah, I guess it would be local fast food. Yeah. So and now and now it's kind of like the almost the season of, or what I feel is the season of, of Capriati's when we're heading toward closer and closer to uh, November and Thanksgiving and the, the season of the Bobby's. Oh, we are getting close. We are getting close to Bobby season and I am here for it. You know, fall is my favorite season. It starts to get cooler. It always seems like a good idea to sit on restaurant patios in the summer, um, but it gets so dang hot and, you know, once you hit that, like, late September, October time frame, I love to sit out with, like, a warm, you know, a hot coffee or a bowl of soup outside on the patio. It's just the perfect, perfect storm. Does Nutmeg enjoy joining you? Um, she would, but, you know, Nutmeg is so important. It's difficult to find time in her schedule to leave the house. So mostly <laughs> she stays home. So this was um, something that I think took a lot of people by storm uh, on Facebook. And I found out about it through my parents because we were talking about meeting up for lunch in Newark one day. Um, and then it was pretty hot. So they were talking about, you know, whether or not to bring the dog. Um, and then ultimately it was decided they could not bring the dog because um, kind of everyone in Delaware at the same time realized that um, – Apparent, according to a code that has been in the books for 10 years or more, um, but rarely enforced uh, through the Division of Public Health, um, that pets aren't actually allowed at restaurants. Um, like, even though we think of, like, the patio area as a safe area, there's um, there are different restrictions and, um, and details to this that uh, apparently people didn't know about. Yeah. So two things to this. One, I know I have gone places with my parents' dogs on the patio and they've not been upset. So you're right that this was not enforced. Um, and I, I'm okay. I struggle because I love Nutmeg. She's an adequate intern. I don't know that I would say she's great. She's been very difficult this episode. Um, but she's an adequate intern, but she does not do well in public with strangers. Um, they really overwhelm her. So once you're not a stranger and she knows you, you are in the inner circle, but she would not do well in a restaurant setting. So I wouldn't take her, but I do know that there are a lot of people who um, have a harder time making that decision or realizing their dog, that isn't a great setting for them. Um, but the second thing I really want to note about this story has um, pretty much nothing to do with the story and everything to do with your dog. I don't think we've discussed your family intern before on the podcast. Um, and I would just like to point out that your dad's name is Dan and your dog's name is Dan. And I know you guys call him <laughs> Danny, the dog, so that there's a differentiator there. But I like to refer to them as person Dan and dog Dan. And no matter the context, whenever you talk about a story about one of them, I like to confirm which one. So you'll say something like, I was out throwing <laughs> the ball for Danny. Oh, dog Dan or person Dan? I have no trouble keeping track of who's who. I mean, I don't either, but I just really enjoy making you confirm that you were not, in fact, throwing a ball for your father to choose. <laughs> 
Yes, and believe it or not, even though we have all these people in our family, I still don't think any one of us is cracking the, the top three most famous McBrides in Delaware. I think you're down to actually number like eight or nine most famous McBrides. <laughs> I keep finding more and more. There are really a lot of McBrides. It's crazy. But you got to talk to someone. Um, I was I was way unfortunately. And I think you got to talk to someone who could be on their way to becoming a famous Delawarean, if not, you know, already in certain uh, circles. Yeah, I would say in certain circles, she's definitely the most famous Dolan in Delaware. Um, in certain circles and, and perhaps in general, I don't know of any other famous Delaware Dolans. Um, but that, that leads us to a a great way to chat about our guest. So, um, just due to scheduling, I ended up getting to have that conversation. So the first time Dara will hear it, will actually do in the episode post, which is kind of fun. I'm excited uh, for listeners that they'll get to hear it at the same time. They'll hear it at the same time as a host, which is kind of fun. Um, but Emily was so amazing. So Emily Dolan is a charter school of Wilmington graduate. She won uh, Delaware goalkeeper of the year during her senior year back in 2012, played for a few years in Florida for college, and then played for a semi-professional team in Lancaster for a number of summers. She graduated college and sort of thought, you know, I'm not sure what I want to do next but maybe I'll try professional soccer. Um, So she started trying to figure out how to get on a team somewhere in Europe. And it's just, honestly, she's, it's such a great story, Dee, because she just kind of decided, like, I don't know how this is going to go, but I'm going to try it. And she really put herself out there and made it happen and um, has now turned this into her, she's starting her fourth season um, of professional soccer in Europe. She's played in for teams in three different countries and had the chance to sort of travel all over Europe as a professional athlete and have the kind of experience that most of us will never get the chance to have. And she made it happen for herself. Well, I look forward to hearing it with everybody else. So without further ado, here's Emily Dolan. So I'm here with Emily Dolan, who is a goalkeeper playing soccer, or as the Europeans will call it, football in Europe. Um, She's actually based out of Spain right now, but she is originally from Delaware. Hello. So Emily, I'm so glad you're here to talk to me today. Um, So just a little bit of background for people. Emily went to charter. I think you graduated in 2012. Yep, that's right. Okay. So I guess that means we overlapped for a year. Um, Dara and I graduated in 2009 with your brother, Sean, which is actually how we sort of got connected to you. And um, we always love to hear updates of what you're up to. And now we're excited to share them with everyone else. Yeah, it was really cool when I uh, when I heard about you guys' pro- uh, podcast. Um, I like instantly recognized you guys because you guys are in the same class as my brother, as you said. And it's kind of crazy how things wind up down the road. Yeah, Delaware is. Um, you know, we have almost a million people, but it's still such a small place. Um, and so we love getting to share stories of people who are making an impact in Delaware, but in your case, a Delawarean in the wild, someone who's from Delaware and is making an impact um, and being successful somewhere else. So let, let's talk. Now, do you want me to call it soccer or football? I guess I should ask that question. Um, you can call it however you want. I know I tend to lean towards football just because it's a habit now. Um, but I kind of bounce in between the two. So whatever you want. Okay. I'm probably going to call it soccer because I'm in the U (laughs) S totally fair. (laughs) Um, so let's chat a little bit. I assume you played growing up, like even prior to high school. So tell us a little about that. Yeah. So I, um, so fun fact, how I started playing, I think I I really only got into it competitively when I was maybe nine or 10 years old, which for football is a little bit late. Um, but my parents were like, oh, Emily's, you know, she's, she could use some exercise. And so they kind of just threw me into rec soccer. And um, I just, I guess I was a rebellious kid and I was like, I don't want to exercise. Like, I'm just going to be the goalkeeper and stand here and just pick flowers all the time. Like I was that kid. Um, 
And then I just how thought, how old were you when that happened? Um, that's a good question. Maybe seven or eight. Okay, so a pretty a pretty average starting age. Yeah, like it wasn't it wasn't supposed to be anything beyond like let's get Emily running. Like that was all <laughs> it was. Um, so, but yeah, I just I ended up really falling in love with it, um, and then. I went to kind of a more serious team. Uh, I did like the travel soccer thing, um, played in high school, and then it just kind of took off from there. So when you were in high school, you were named, I think, player of the year, goalie of the year? Uh, Goalkeeper of the year. Goalkeeper of the year um, for the state of Delaware, which is really exciting. And you played for Charter. and I guess that means you played for John Gillespie, right? Yeah, yeah. Actually, me and John are still in touch. We're uh, we're pretty good friends. That's good. He um, was actually my, I guess, guidance counselor, and also went to my church, so I knew him pretty well too. Oh. Um, and he was so great, and he was so involved with the students, and um, especially the women who played soccer for him, which was just so great. I think you guys all had a generally had a great connection with him. Um, I know the women from my class did as well. Um, so you graduated in 2012, which is when you won your goalkeeper of the year for the state of Delaware. Um, and then you went on to play in college. So were you recruited? Did you walk on? Did you get a scholarship? Tell us sort of how that all came about. Um, so my route to college football was not, I mean, I wouldn't describe it as the typical route. Um, I knew that I wanted to play, um, but Delaware is a very small state and, uh, from a recruiting standpoint, you know, I was finding it a little bit hard to get any traction with colleges. I had a couple offers here and there, but nothing that really felt like it fit what I wanted. Um, and then it was, you know, most people normally will commit, you know, sign their national letter of intent in their junior year. Um, and I was in like the fall of my senior year, still hadn't committed anywhere, didn't really have much on the table, um, randomly got an email from, from Florida Gulf Coast University saying that a recruit had fallen through for them, and um, they had an assistant coach there who had seen me play like two years prior when he was coaching at a different school at the time. Um, and they were seeing if I had committed anywhere, and I hadn't. Went down for an official visit. Um, really liked it. Loved the school, the campus. Um, ended up signing a letter of intent in the spring of my senior year, but not on any athletic money. Um, I went on an academic, academic scholarship. And so I think technically speaking, I was considered a walk-on from that standpoint. Interesting. Well, that's, that's awesome. Um, you know, charter is a great school. Everybody I think knows that we've all gotten a great education. So, um, I do know a lot of the kids who are recruited for athletics, um, don't get, um, sports scholarships. That's not true of just charter students, but students in general. And so it's great when you can get academic scholarships and be a well-qualified candidate. Um, so I'm glad to hear that. So, you played for them for a while, and then you played some semi-pro soccer in Pennsylvania. I did. Um, up in Lancaster, there's a, a semi-pro team, Lancaster Inferno. Um, it started as a summer league. Um, they've, since when I started playing with them, have joined a new league, and it's much, you know, it's a lot more organized and um uh, serious than when I, my first year there, um, it started as just a way for me to get touches in the summer in between seasons, but they ended up, I mean, being just so instrumental in my career. Like I wouldn't be where I am without having played at that with Lancaster Inferno in the summers. So they were, they were huge for me. How many summers did you play for them? I think I play, I think a total of Hmm, one, two, either three or four seasons. I don't. You're young, and it's running together so quickly. <laughs> I know, I know, it's so bad. I mean, my memory's not that good right now at the moment. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. No. no. So, well, so just to give uh, listeners a heads up, what they don't realize is I am sitting in my living room in Delaware and Emily is in Spain, uh, which is where she currently lives and plays. So even though it's only 3 p.m. Eastern, it's about 9 p.m. her time. And I think you had a game today. Is that right? We did. So I'm, a, you know, if I'm a little, uh, a bit of a zombie, I you're apologize. tired. And it's been a long day. <laughs> We're six hours ahead of us, so we totally get it. Um, Okay, so after you played a few seasons in Lancaster, you had graduated from school, um, and I think I did, I did, again, Dara does all the guest research. She's really awesome at that. Um, And so you kind of were trying to figure out what to do next, which I think most post-grads are trying to do. Um, So how did you decide... I guess, not to pursue a more traditional career or something related to your major um, and and decide to just go play soccer? So I, I studied pre-med um, in college and was pretty set on medical school. Um, but for a variety of reasons, by, by the end of the four years, I really needed a break from school. Um, and... I figured that there's only a small window in my life where I'm going to have the opportunity to play professional sports, where my body will physically allow me to do that. Um, And school will always be there. So why not try it? And then if it doesn't work out, then at least I know going forward that I tried it and I'm not going to have that doubt or regret, you know, anytime down the road or in the future. Um, So, it was it was a long summer because um, I was obviously playing up in Lancaster, which is not the closest of of places. And um, you were still living at home in the Wilmington area. Yeah, so I was living at home. I had like three jobs, four if you want to be like technical with it. And then I was playing up in Lancaster. Um, so that summer was just crazy. Um, that last season with Lancaster Inferno, I filmed a lot of the matches. My parents would show up with like their cell phones or with like this really tiny camera from like 2008 that we had in our basement and, um, made a highlight film out of it and then went online and basically just Googled every team I could possibly find. And I would do like a country, like do it by country. So like two days I would just spend in Germany looking up every single team I could find in Germany and just flooding my information out there. I sent it to teams. I sent it to men's teams on the off chance that like they knew somebody. I sent it to FIFA officials. Like I was just basically casting a wide net and hoping something came back. Um, And very fortunate for me, something did. Right. So that is when you started playing in Italy, right? Yep. Yep. Italy was my introduction to professional football in Europe. Okay. So tell us sort of what that experience was like, what your role was, how, you know, obviously you got there because you were, you were kind of trolling everybody. Um, (laughs) So kind of. (laughs) Yeah. So who actually took the bait? Um, It reached out to you and how did, how did that signing work and everything? I was surprised. It happened really quickly. Um, Like when Italy was, I mean, it was not the first place I emailed. I was emailing a lot of other places. Um, I didn't have an agent at the time. So really it was just kind of winging it. And then I was at my one of my work shifts and I got an email from, from San Zacharia. I think now they've changed their name to Ravenna women, but they play in the top league in Italy and they wrote back and said, yeah, like we had something pop up. We need a goalkeeper on short notice. Can you be here for a trial in like three days? And I was like, no, (laughs) (laughs) no, I live on another continent. (laughs) Like, in fact, I can't, but like, can you wait maybe like a week and three days? Um, so, so you, okay. So you very quickly, like with a week's notice, flew to Italy. Flew to Italy with my dad. Um, it was the first time for me outside of the country. So that was crazy. 
spent about a week on trial with them. And after the week, they were like, yeah, we want you to stay. Here's the contract, whatever. Um, my dad flew back to the United States on our original return ticket. And then I stayed behind with the team. Wow. Okay. So you, uh, now how did you handle like luggage? Because you flew out there for a, a week and I, I mean, I'm assuming you thought, okay, well, there's a possibility I'm not going to come back right away. But I mean, you didn't know to pack for living there. <laughs> yeah, that was actually a, a big deal um, because I knew there was a chance that I could stay. But at the same time, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, so, I mean, I packed maybe like as much that I could fit that I thought maybe it was like two weeks, three weeks worth of stuff, but I had no clue. And so, I mean, what ended up happening was the the stuff that I brought with me got totally destroyed because I wore it. Like that was all I was wearing. Um, right. You did sort of the, um, all the bloggers do a 21 day, how to pack for a 21 day vacation, but that was all you owned for months. Basically, yeah. Um, I really had to rely on the the clothes that the club gave us, like our travel kit. Like I would wear that to the store because I just didn't have anything. And then also when I first got there for the first couple months, we were living in this apartment above a bank and uh, we didn't have a washer or a dryer or anything. So I would have to like wash my clothes in the sink and then lay them out on the roof and like hold them down with tiles to dry, which I mean, that is not very nice on clothing. (laughs) Um, and then winter hit and I didn't have any warm clothes and it was, it was kind of a mess for a little bit, but I had to come back for my visa eventually and I could bring more stuff then. Okay. So that was back in 2016, I guess. Is that right? 2000, the fall of 2016 to spring 2017 was that season. Okay. So at the end of that season, then what happened? Because now cause we're getting we're getting closer to now, but that's still two years back. Yeah, a lot's happened. Um, yeah, so at the end of the season, I really, really loved living in Italy, um, but I felt like I could use a change with the team. Um, mm-hmm. And the paperwork was such in Italy that I I didn't think that it was going to be possible for me to stay, even if I went to a different team. Um, okay. So still didn't have an agent, basically did the exact same thing that I did before, which was just flooded my new highlight film, which was me playing in Italy, um, to as many teams as I could. And I got a lot more responses back that time because I already had a year of experience under my belt. Um, Right, right. (laughs) Yeah, that was helpful. Um, And I got an email back from a team in Poland that played in Champions League. And to me, that was like an opportunity that I just couldn't say no to. So that was, uh, that was the next team after Italy. So you went to Poland and you played in a different league. So just to clarify, these are both national leagues, right? So the Italian team you played for was all Italian teams in their league? Yeah. So it's, um, it's, it's basically like any sports league. It's just the, it's all Italian teams playing each other like their top division the team in Poland had their top division of Polish football but they also played in Champions League which is an inter-European competition so we actually played teams from other countries in that oh okay so that's a little a little different than we sort of always think about okay cool so you played in Poland from 2017 to 2018 I guess yes okay um and what was what did you find was like different about playing for that team, that league, and in that country compared to Italy? Um, from the football standpoint, the style was very, very different. Um, in Italy, it was very technical, um, pretty tactical, I would say, uh, but not super physical. The pace of play wasn't the fastest I've seen, but every pass was on point. Mm-hmm. Um, in Poland, I felt like it was more similar to the style of the U.S. where it's a little more physical. The level of the players I was with on my team was fantastic, but there definitely was an element of speed and, and physicality that I, I missed in Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as far as living there, it was, I mean, it was black and white, <laughs> to be completely <laughs> honest with you. Um Poland's the culture of Poland was much more difficult for me to adjust to than 
Italy, just because it's, it's so different, the language, just everything. So that was an adjustment for sure. Okay. And then now you are in, oh, that's 2017 to 2018. Okay. So then tell us about 2018 <laughs> to 2019. So this, this past year. This past year, I was on this same team that I'm currently on now. Um, I play for Real Betis uh, in Sevilla, Spain. Um, after my year with the Polish team, I got a lot of traction from playing in Champions League. I got a lot of exposure from that. Um, and I was kind of at a crossroads with my career where I was like, you know, you know, I've, I've done the professional thing now. Do I want to keep going? And or, you know, do I want to go up a level? Do I want to stay where I'm at? And I decided that I wanted to see how far I could take this and really try to make a push to get into um, more of an established league uh, domestically. So ended up in Real Batiste in Spain, and I am here to, to this day. That's good. So two seasons in, um, and I know you were saying earlier, your first two times when you were trying to find placements, you did not have um, a manager or agent. Does that mean that you do now? Yes, now I do. Um, when I made the decision that I wanted to see how far I could take football, um, I real I was thinking I was getting to a point where sending, you know, basically spamming people's inboxes might not be the most effective route. <laughs> um, so yeah, now now I have an agent who helps me out. Okay. That's awesome. Um, so your season just started, I guess, within the last week, right? Last time we had talked to you, you were sort of going through preseason. The season has started now. So what's the biggest change when you go from preseason to in-season? Um, the, the training schedule is definitely the biggest one. Um, just from the standpoint of in preseason, you're doing two sessions a day. Sometimes you're doing two sessions plus something else, like a recovery or activation session or whatever. Um, when you're in season, the work is still definitely intense, but you also have a lot more downtime and it's a lot more on you to do the recovery stuff, the extra fitness, the workouts, like whatever you need to do personally, it's definitely more individualized. Um, and there is, you have that free time to play with a little more than you do in, in preseason, I would say. Okay. Um, and then we'll ask, so now I'm going to ask sort of more questions about being in Europe and playing. So for one thing, um, I mean, you mentioned a little bit sort of like the pacing and the technical, like sort of how they're different over there compared to the U S how does that factor in, um, and also, like, do you find there are a lot of women from the U.S. who are playing in leagues in Europe? Um, yeah, actually, yes. Um, I think that if you had asked me that question maybe five years ago, um, I would have said there probably aren't that many. Um, but Europe is starting to become kind of a, a hotbed for women's football. And there used to be a little bit, I think, from the, the U.S. standpoint, um, I think there used to be a little bit of a stigma with players coming to Europe, but we're seeing the level of European women's football grow so quickly and the professionalism of the leagues grow in leaps and bounds, especially as men clubs are starting to get involved. Um, for example, we have another American on the team this year with me who's from Texas. When I played in Poland, there was a group of us, a group of Americans. Um, so it's definitely diversifying over here from all over the world, not just from the U S South America, I mean, everywhere, which is really cool to see. Um, um, and I know you said the language barrier when you were in Poland, um, was much more difficult than, um, when you were in Italy and I'm assuming now Spain. Um, so what has that been like, as you've seen more women from other countries come together does everyone sort of tend to speak the language of the country or they tend to speak English or a mixture? Um, it's typically the language of the country. Um, okay. When I was in Italy, it, the only foreigners were me, a girl from Mexico and a girl from Ireland. So, I mean, when there's three of us and, you know, 18 girls speaking Italian, it, it should honestly be on us to learn Italian. Um, right. Yeah. And, and just because you're living there for me, like 
it's it's just respectful. Like if I'm going to live in Poland, I'll I'll do my best to learn the language. And so, you know, when I was in Poland, we'd speak Polish. And when I'm here in Spain, we speak Spanish mostly. Um, if you really need to speak English to somebody, there's tip, like at least here, there's typically somebody who can translate if you really don't know what's going on. Um, but it's typically the language of the country unless, you know, there's an extreme circumstance or there's some reason for it not to be. Right. Um, okay. So you also brought up that Europe is becoming a hotbed for women's soccer, which um, of course is definitely more true than here in the U S but I'm sure you followed all of the world cup um, stuff this summer and Megan Rapino and all of the other amazing women on our U.S. team. Um, so with that, what has it been like playing in Europe where soccer and women's soccer especially um, have more of a fandom than they do in the U.S.? Um, it's, it's hard to put into words um, because it's happened so quickly. Um, I think I think for the U.S., the national team has a very large fan base, as they should. Um, they're the best team in the world, you know, as of now, in my opinion. Um, but you don't see that support necessarily translate as strongly into the NWSL. Um, and I think that's a missing piece for women's football in the U.S., that we're still trying to figure out how to strike a balance between those two things. But in Europe... Um, for example, I mean, I play for Real Betis. We have a men's team that plays in La Liga. And that fan base has already been built into the club. So, you know, we show up to a game and it doesn't, it's not just a fan of women's football or men's football. It's a fan of Real Betis football. And that sort of support and culture is really, really cool to see in games. And we've had really big crowds show up to our matches before. You're seeing record crowds all over Europe. Um, really, really cool to be a part of that. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, it's good to hear that there's definitely a little bit more of an equality when it comes to the sports in Europe, um, something we're working toward in the U.S., um, let's see, Dara pulled some questions. Okay. Oh, these are, these are good questions that help us kind of like wrap up. So, um, what's your travel schedule like when you're in season? I know you said like, it's more on you to make sure you get your workouts in and it's a little bit less crazy, but it does mean you're traveling a lot. Yeah. So probably the most difficult thing about in season is the travel schedule. Um, because we're traveling all over Spain for our matches um typically we'll alternate between home and away games and it's one game every weekend unless there's some international break or there's you know some odd scheduling thing going on um and it depends on where we're going uh if we're going really north like if we're going into basque country we'll typically fly there go the day before if it's a later game in Madrid, we'll take the train the, that morning of and then like have a hotel where we kind of camp out at for two or three hours. Uh, it can vary a lot. Um, and we always get back to Sevilla like middle of the night, which is wonderful. <laughs> um, yes, I went to Spain when I was in high school. And I think, you know, you did something like seven cities in 10 days. Um, but Sevilla is one of the country, the cities I went to. Um, and I would say from my trip, it was probably my favorite. Um, but I think it was the city where I really got to experience the city and not just the most famous museums. Mm. Yeah, Sevilla is one of those. It's not like a Madrid or a Barcelona where it's super, super touristy. Like it is, but it's not on that level. Um, to me, it's it's a smaller city. It has more of a home feel to it. The people are so open and warm. Like, it really does feel like a second home to me. And anyone who's come and visit, I mean, I've never heard somebody say that they disliked it. So I'm really happy that you've come. Like, yay. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, it's, you know, pretty much everywhere in the world is always on my list. But international travel is not in the cards for me right now. But eventually. Yeah. Um but for you, how often do you get back to Delaware? And in the winter, when you guys are out of season, are you able to like come home for months? No. So, wow. Okay. It depends. Um, I typically have to come back 
to finish visa paperwork. Um, mm-hmm. That has to be done in your own country. I can't do that from here. Um, so, for example, this year I'll probably back, be back in Delaware for maybe a week, two weeks at most around Christmas time. Um, and then outside of that, I mean, when we, I think our last game before Christmas is maybe the 21st. And then we have, you know, like on the day until the, after the game, until the day after Christmas, we have off and then we get right back to training. Like we really don't have that break in the middle. So we come right back. The biggest break is maybe a two month break in the summer. And I'm typically in Delaware for that. Okay. So you come home in the summer. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. So were you were you home this summer? I was. It was very nice. <laughs> That's good. I can, I can imagine having like when you have such an intense schedule like that, it's it, I can't imagine how exhausting and draining. So it's nice to like be home and I'm sure you you come and stay at your parents' house, which I own my own home 20 minutes from my parents and when I dog sit for them, it's like a vacation. So I can mm-hmm. totally <laughs> I can totally understand. Um, so you come back to Delaware one or two times a year. Um, summer is typically your only long visit. Okay. Uh, did you watch the World Cup from Delaware? Yeah. Yeah, I was in Delaware for the whole World Cup. Okay. That's kind of cool. You actually got to be like home with all the other U.S. fans for it. And I guess I'm assuming you were rooting for the U.S. women's team, but I could be wrong. Yeah. No, I I mean, of course, right? Like they're my team. I've always got to support them. but. Um, to be honest, it was really also just cool to see the level of competition across the board increase. Um, like we weren't, you know, there were a couple games that were blowouts, but really, especially in the knockout stages, it was very, very competitive. And that's so good for the sport as a whole. Um, for example, Spain did a, had a really great tournament. Um, I have a friend from here who plays with me in Betis who plays for the Netherlands and they played against the U.S. in the World Cup final. I have a friend on Sweden and it was really, it was just a really surreal experience to see people that I know playing in the tournament while I'm sitting in Delaware. Like it was just a very odd feeling. <laughs> yeah. As a, as an eight-year-old playing, you know, starting to play soccer, who would have, who would have guessed? Um, yeah. So that is cool. And then when, I guess you probably don't go when you're here, um, but when you were growing up, did you go to Philadelphia Union games um, at all? Um, I've been to maybe one or two. Um, Typically, you know, I'm never home really long enough or at the same times as them to go now. Um, Right. And when I was home, I mean, I've, I've had jobs since I was basically 15 years old. So I've always been working or I have my own training schedule and just I I haven't had the time to really go to as many games as I would have liked to, unfortunately. Totally get it. Um, So they may not be your like U.S. soccer teams that you would root for, but do you have any U.S. teams that you really like? Um, You know, I, I guess I'd say Philly Union. Just, just from association, um, from the hometown perspective, yeah, yeah. Which I know is lame. I love their their goalkeeper is fantastic. He's world class, and so and as a goalkeeper, like I look at that above everything else. Um, so that's another factor. But I don't really follow the MLS very much, if I'm being honest. I, I can't imagine that you have time to, and you are keeping up with so many other things where you are. So totally get that. All right. Um, what is your advice for young girls who are interested in soccer now? Like it's 2019. We're in a different, you know, it's a different world than when you were just starting. So what, what kind of advice would you give? Um, I would say, you know, work really hard and decide what you want from the sport, you know, for yourself. If, if you want to play in college, if you want to play professionally, those we're getting into an age of women's football where, there are those options available um, to to strive for, and it's not um, this impossible thing anymore. Like it is achievable, but I I say that with the caveat of make sure that you keep loving the sport, um, play because you love it, and don't let it turn into just a job or just something that you do 
because you want to get a scholarship because of this, that, or the other thing. Um, because there, this is, you know, people see game days, but they don't see all the trainings and all the, the bad times and the ups and downs. And, you know, this is not, this is not always a pleasant journey. There's injuries, there's setbacks. And if, if you don't maintain that love and passion for the sport, it's going to be really, really difficult. Um, so for any young player who asked me that, I'd say making sure that you stay in love with football is the most important thing that you can do for right now and for your future career in the sport. I think that's good advice for anything, um, but definitely, definitely a, an athletic endeavor. Um, so I'll just wrap up with our last question, which we ask all of our in the wild guests. And that is when you do come back to Delaware, what's the one place like you have to go because you can't get it anywhere else. So, um, like an ice cream shop or just a favorite restaurant that you just, it feels like home and you can't get it in any other place in the world. Ooh, that's such a good question. Um, this is okay. So probably a charcoal pit milkshake with fries like you dip the fries in the charcoal pit milkshake okay is the most amazing thing in the world to me and they're super strict on diet here anyway so when I go home it's like the biggest rebellion ever and it's delicious (laughs) and it's just the highlight of my year (laughs) well and summer's the perfect time so and that's a very very Delaware answer so we love that yeah, that's about as Delaware as it gets, I think. <laughs> I I think so. I think when uh, Obama and Biden have both been pictured at the charcoal pit on their Delaware visits, I think you know it's a pretty Delaware answer. But you know what? Like, they, it deserves all the hype. Like, it's it's the best. I dream about it. It's wonderful. You, you're like just got back and you're already dreaming for next summer. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm looking at my clock like, um, when do I go back for my visa? Can we like speed that up a little bit? <laughs> well, hopefully um, fans will run into you next time you're here at the charcoal pit. Um, mm-hmm. But I just want to say thank you so much for chatting with us and sharing your story and how you ended up where you are and doing what you're doing. No, thank you so much for having me. This has been really great chatting with you. And I love what you guys are doing with, uh, with bringing some attention to stuff going on in Delaware. It's, it's fantastic. So thanks again to Emily for sharing her story with us and hopefully inspiring other youngsters to be active in the things they do, feel passionately about them, and um, you know really pursue those things. So really great story from her and just a great attitude toward reaching for your dreams and making them happen. Um, Before we go, we just wanted to give you guys a few things we've got coming up. Yeah. So there are a couple, uh, like if you have a tight schedule, um, there are a couple things on my radar that I'm hoping to catch. Um, They're up for a while. Um, One of them on the shorter end is uh, Delaware Theater Company is showing The Hound of the Baskervilles, um, which you might recognize as a Sir Arthur Conan Doyle um, story. Um, But it's not kind of like famous, famous for Sherlock Holmes for those who aren't as familiar. Um, but this is actually uh, more of like a, a comedy that it's presented um, by three actors. Um, and they're they're billed as a trio of clowns and klutzes. And it's something where like, it's kind of a familiar story, um, but it's it's been pretty heavily produced like around the country and known as like, a fun a fun show. Um, so I'm hoping to catch it. It's uh, it's up September 11th through September 29th. Um, and there's a mix of matinees and evening shows. Um, so if you can catch it, check it out at the Delaware Theatre Company. Yes. And one thing about Delaware Theatre Company, I think we've mentioned it before, but if not, or if you're new, this is good intel. Thursday nights, always, no matter what, on Thursday nights, they have talkbacks after their performances. So you could be joined by the director, musicians, um, the actors, and they will just sort of do like an audience Q&A for those who want to stay and uh, learn a little bit more or get a little, you know, get their questions answered. So that's always a really cool thing that DTC does on Thursday nights. Yeah. And then, of course, we talked a little bit early on about food and summer, and I'm looking forward to fall, but I'm still holding on a little bit to that summer feeling. So Dairy Palace, I haven't made it there all summer, um, but luckily this Delaware institution is still open until October 6th. Um, And if you're not quite 
into, I don't know how you could not still be into ice cream, but if you need like a transition flavor, they are doing like pumpkin soft serve. Yes. Um, so I love, love, love when we have these like old standbys that we like to go to and Dairy Palace is definitely, I would say probably our favorite. Oh, I don't know. We love Woodside too. So it's our top two favorite ice cream, uh, summer places. Um, but I also love when there are new places and there is a new one that just opened over behind Washington street alehouse called Torbert street social, um, which is kind of like a speakeasy outdoor patio kind of vibe. It is so cool. I haven't been there yet, but I'm super excited. Everyone I know that's been has really enjoyed it. Um, and I, one of the things I love about it is that it's actually in a converted stable that was built in 1887. So you're definitely like going to a new trendy restaurant, but you're also getting to experience some, some classic Wilmington history at the same time. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. And I know like I, I'm kind of familiar with other, um, other cities, like they have something that's called like something, something social. So I feel like Delaware is, is getting in on this now. Yeah. I think it's very, very on trend. Um, and then one other thing that's kind of cool, my mom for her birthday actually asked for the um, Broadway at the Playhouse series. Ooh. She wanted two seats. So it's so she was able to get four different shows, two seats, huge discount compared to buying individual tickets. Um, and I'm kind of hoping that I get to go make it with her to at least one or two shows. We'll see how that goes. Um, and so just a reminder, we really do have great performances here in Delaware between the Grand, the Playhouse, and the Queen. Um, and one of the acts coming through is actually George Thorogood and the Delaware Destroyers. Um, and I think they're coming to the Opera House. Is that right, Dee? Yes. He will be performing in Copeland Hall at the Grand on Tuesday, October 1st. Oh, and I actually remember seeing the info that it was sold out, um, but I would bet you can probably still find pretty pricey tickets on StubHub and similar. So for those who are interested in supporting national artists as they come through on local tours, you can do that as well as supporting local artists at all of our sort of first Friday and different events like that. So um, hopefully I get to check out some of these events and so do you. Um, and then we'll be back next time with uh, even more recommendations and what we've been getting up to as the leaves are starting to change. Yes. Fall is one of my favorite seasons in Delaware. Always so many good things to do, eat, see, drink. It's a great season. So hope everyone enjoys it. Um, and if you're listening, let us know your favorite fall places for like apple picking, pumpkin patch, hay bale, maize, hay rides, that kind of thing. Um, I know we have our own favorites, but I don't, I don't think they're in Delaware. So we want to know what are your favorite Delaware hotspots for that stuff. Always looking for more. Yes. And we will give you an update probably in October on uh, all of our apple picking adventures. Thanks for listening to the Della Darling podcast. If you want to follow us on social media, we are at Della Darling Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and the Della Darling on Facebook.